The information presented on this program is not intended to take the place of your personal physician's advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Discuss this information with your own physician or healthcare provider to determine what is right for you. The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight we are joined by someone fighting a historic spiritual war, an all-out assault on our natural God-given rights and right to life. We must never stop fighting for the truth on our right to choose life by any means available without government force. Here's a summary about the battlefront he has been on since 1990. What is the type of censorship that kills? Do you know or have family members or friends who have suffered and died following failed standard chemo and radiation cancer treatment, and then the death was attributed to cancer? Everyone suspects or has learned there are many quote-unquote cures available blocked by the FDA. Statistics are obfuscated to manipulate the government and the unsuspecting alike. However, as far as he knows, one out of two are expected to have cancer in their lifetime. This is not a genetic issue. The following applies to both genders, all age groups, and all nationalities and crosses all borders. The following discussion is about a cure for cancer, AIDS, and immune disorders, approved in Canada in 1989 and still covered up and difficult to qualify for until one is terminally ill. Even then, there are hoops to jump through, though available. Why should this one astounding treatment, known as 714X, be the foundation of all cancer and immune disorders? In use worldwide since the 1960s, 714X is harmless and causes the body to reject cancer naturally without side effects, and it's inexpensive. How? By shutting off a hormone that blocks the immune system called human chorionic gonadotropin hormone, HCG, and it's secreted by all cancers and disables or blocks the immune system. Numerous cures exist, some since the 1920s. However, the Rockefellers originated the American Medical Association, the education indoctrination system, and the origins of Big Pharma, which ruthlessly protects its own treatments, an agenda through control of government agencies like at the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration, and draft laws which Congress is lobbied, sponsored, bribed, or pressured to promulgate it into law. Proven low-cost treatments with no side effects are met with intense resistance, blocked and covered up. Doctors, researchers, or anyone who does not toe the line is censured, loses their license to practice, and is incarcerated, impoverished, and slandered. As was expected, his efforts to assist lives from suffering and certain death garnered FDA retaliation. The FDA raided his office, violated the Constitution to indict him and your rights to pursue life. The FDA charged him with breaking an agency regulation, never promulgated into law, therefore not a law. But clearly winning during the first phase of the trial, mysteriously, President Clinton and Chief Justice W.M. Rehnquist summoned the district court judge to Washington, who upon return sentenced him to federal prison and banned his book. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. 
To listen to tonight's full interview, and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button, at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, Divinia water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Fabregas. And to share his story, which will surely be banned and censored in other platforms, tonight's special guest is Charles Pixley. And you can get the book directly on our website at veritasradio.com. It's on the link to this interview or on the Veritas store. Do no harm with a 714X is the title. Hello, Charlie, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Well, thank you. I'm for, I'm very well, and I'm so honored to be on with you here today. And uh, I'm over here on the right coast, next to a very small Finger Lake, and it's we're gonna we're gonna make the skiers very happy today. Excellent. Well, before the, we started, I told you that I usually put a disclaimer at the beginning of the show, but. Just to prevent any problems, I believe you have another disclaimer that you like to read, right? Well, this is a basic information. I say everything that's being presented is open source. It's for educational purposes only under the constitutional right to free speech and the right to life. It's uh, This material is educational. It's not promoting anything or any drug or, and, or any diagnostic uh, method. It's all for discussion only. It comes under the Title 21, Part 56 of the United States Code of Federal Regulations, which mandates informed consent prior to accepting or use of any medication, regardless of who prescribes it. Very well. Well, you and I spoke a few weeks ago, and I was fascinated and disturbed at the same time because of what happened to you, although I'm not surprised. We have a, another friend of this show, Greg Caton, who currently resides in Ecuador, and anybody can listen to those, those interviews on sanitasradio.com. Uh, what he went through, he was arrested, even though his cream, uh, cancer, curing cream for skin disorders in Louisiana, the FDA raided his lab, made him plead guilty because otherwise they were going to put his wife in jail and take his child to the government, would take care of him and put him for adoption. So he had to plead guilty. He was released years later. He went to Ecuador. He was extraordinarily renditioned there and put back in federal prison in the United States. So, obviously, the FDA, Big Pharma, they have their own intelligence apparatus. They don't want anybody to be uh, disturbing their revenue streams. Something similar happened to you. I usually read a bio, but I left it so that you could read or tell us your story first. Let, just take us to the beginning, Charlie. Yeah, sure. Um, back in 1990, uh, I... I my previous background came from uh, investment banking and uh, the insurance industry, which I didn't really love, but the investment banking I did. And in 1986, the company closed. And uh, through my own personal evolution, 
and misbehavior, if you will. I was Reagan era, and I wanted everything. I wanted all the marbles, and you know, it was just kind of too wild, I suppose. I'm a two-tour two Vietnam veteran, and uh, had my uh, reawakening in the by, in the meeting of God back in 1972. So this, in, in the evolution thereof, uh, when you're when you've been tuned into the Almighty, uh, there He has a way of cleaning you out, I guess you could say. But so by 1990, uh, I was looking for something. I had to get things restarted. It have I'm a father of six children. We had a big family, and and things were really rough. And I went to Woodstock, New York, and on the July 4th weekend, found a book called Oxygen Therapies by Ed McCabe. And in that book, Ed talks about, it's like a file cabin of all the things you can do with oxygen. And if you look up Ed McCabe, he's called Mr. Oxygen, and he's an expert in the area, and he's he's been through quite a, a bit as well. In, uh, in combat with the government. And uh, I discovered there that you could cure cancer with uh, oxygen. And uh, this this was like uh, an explosion went off. I said, oh, my God, you can, I, I had no idea that you could do this. So I contacted Ed. I came up with an idea. I had bought a corporation for a dollar called uh, Writers and Research. And I said, um, Writers and Research, Okay. Uh, Ed, I got an idea. I'll put you on. In those days, we had no no internet. There was no uh, Amazon. Everything was done by fax, telephones. Uh, we didn't even have cell phones at that stage. And uh, so I contacted Ed with this concept, uh, what I call the circle of energy. I'll buy your book wholesale. I'll put you on radio. You talk about your book. You give my phone number, which at the time was 1-800-HIT-IDEA. And uh, people can buy the book from me. I'll buy it wholesale and sell it retail. The radio show gets a excellent uh, content for their audience. And you get to promote your book. I make something. You make something. The customer uh, certainly gets benefit. And the radio show gets benefit. So it was a complete circle of energy. And it was an instant success. And then I had a line of authors who would, would and that was, a, that was a handshake deal. If you don't give my number, the deal's over. And nobody ever violated it. And then came uh, Major General Perry Smith during the um, George Herbert Walker's Bush's Gulf War. Uh, General Smith was the spokesman on CNN when Ted Turner still owned CNN. And he was a spokesman for the Gulf War at that time. He was that beautiful, bald general, former uh, classmate of Schwarzkopf. And he wrote a book, he wrote several books actually, but he wrote a book called um, Taking Charge, How to Run an Organization Successfully. And I booked him on Dr. Schuler's Hour of Power and, and 700 Club, and we we hit, we hit probably sold 150,000 copies in those two interviews. And so that really set the things off. And by the end of my first year, we grossed $250,000. And in the process of that um Somebody said, if you're doing that for those guys, you got to do it for this guy. And they thrust a book in my hand by Christopher Bird. Maybe many of your listeners have heard about Christopher Bird, who wrote Secret Life of Plants, Secrets of the Soil, sure. The Divining Hand, The 500-Year History of Dowsing. And uh, Chris is a consummate genius, and he was surrounded by geniuses. And he was former CIA, and he wrote, spoke six languages. And... and um, he wrote a book called The Galileo of the Microscope, uh, The Life and Trials of Gaston Nason. 
uh, which would later change the title. The book stayed the same, but the title changed to The um, Persecution and Trial of Gaston Nason. And that's still available out there. But anyway, the book was the about Gaston Nason, who was a French microbiologist who came from Lyon, France. He developed a microscope that, um, in, in, the, in the terms of, uh, in the 60s, uh, a half a million dollars in today's money, I don't know what that calculates to, but let's say it's a million dollars, right? Or at least double, right? So um, he created this microscope that was a dark field using Kerr cells and um, ultraviolet light and so forth. And <clears throat> what he discovered, he picked up from Antoine Bechamp and another scientist that came before Bechamp by the name of Emile Dallian. And in our blood, there's an indestructible life force which is dubbed the somatide, somatide, or tiny body. And that tiny body uh, was observable by uh, Doyen way back, and they called him the noon lunatic because the lighting, and he didn't have the microscopic capabilities, but during two hours of day between 10 and noon or 10 and 2, there was enough ultraviolet light that illuminated these somatides, and then they would disappear. So they called him the noon lunatic. So later on um, comes Bechamp, and he he was in combat with, if you will, social combat with uh, Pasteur, and he his side of the medical equation, medical history, um, is it's the milieu, it's not the virus, it's not the bacteria, it's the milieu, it's the entire being, and uh, then so Nason identified and perfected the study of the of the somatide and the somatide is indestructible it's in all living things including moon rocks and you name it um, in our form it's a it has a three-stage life cycle in our blood and uh, it's like a, a butterfly goes through a, ca a ca catalyst uh, chrysalis and um when you begin to degenerate into a disease state, it goes into a 16-stage cycle. And in my book, Do No Harm, you'll see the pictures of it in the 16-stage cycle under his microscope. And in that process, you can determine up to two years in advance when there's going to be cancer. So the biggest threat, well, then from there, he... Uh, cancer or AIDS or an immune disorder. And from there, he developed a medicine, which he dubbed 714X, which is the transposition of the letters of his name. G is the seventh letter of the alphabet and 14th, and then X, which is his year of birth. So 714X is just a simple translation of his uh, the initials of his name and his year of birth. And this medicine is a homeopathic compound, uh, would be a 3C for those who understand homeopathy, uh, camphor, one molecule of nitrogen and one molecule of ammonium, which is imperceptible, uh, undetectable, and totally harmless. And this medicine, uh, through his experimentation, when injected into the lymphatic system of a person who has cancer, all cancer secretes a hormone that blocks the immune system. So the immune system is uh, more or less shut off. It's uh, the immune system doesn't know that cancer exists. So the 714X shuts off that signal. That signal is called human chorionic gonadotropin, or HCG. And any oncologist will tell you that there's HCG in most of their cancers where 
in our in our study, in Dr. Schulvector's study, in Dr. Nason's study, and uh, Emil Shandell's study, that all cancers uh, secrete some 14x. So uh, by injecting this uh, this medicinal into the lymphatic system, it causes the hormone to stop uh, being emitted by the cancer cells, and then the body's natural immune system uh, takes over and wipes out the tumor, wipes out the cancer, uh, whatever uh, form it may be. And uh, the one that's most uh, remarkable, I suppose, is when it's in the brain, because in chemotherapies traditionally does not cross the blood-brain barrier. And if you are given radiation to the brain, of course, they burn the gray matter and they really get into deep trouble and generally don't survive the past couple of months. But uh, anyway, the 714X shut. Burn, poison, or cut. That's their deal with yeah. with standard of care, right? Yeah, well, this, I think, well, that's a whole other part of the history of medicine. That goes back, what I would say, is uh, what they used to call the standard school, the pre-Rockefeller school, uh, where mercury was always used, even way back. And it, it may even be tied to witchcraft in a certain kind of way because they bled you or they put leeches on you or they gave you mercuriometics, emetics, and you would sit there and drool out gallons of your own body of fluids until you're totally depleted. And those mercury is still being used today. Anybody who's studying what's going on with vaccinations or injections knows that mercury is in almost everything. Of course. And big time use in the in the dentistry for years and years and years. And now people are waking up to that and having the mercury removed from their mouth. So Nason's uh, 714X was when you combine the two things. Well, let me just go one more step. Dr. Schildvector, my professor and partner and co and chief investigator of the Institutional Review Board, which we'll go over in a little while. Uh, they, Dr. Schildvector and Emil Shandell uh, put together a, a blood test that's done in a traditional way, uh, where in ASUNs, you have to take a drop of blood, you have to be there present with the microscope, where the other one that Schildvector and Shandell developed is done by drawing blood and then doing phoresis and then, then the white blood cells are studied under uh, through this uh, system to discover four different markers. And uh, so it mirrored uh, Nason in that we can pre-diagnose cancer up to 26 months in advance and eliminate it 100% without side effects at that stage. So when you tie all that together, uh, in the face of a $100 trillion a cancer business um, to say that we can eliminate cancer without any side effects easily, and that we can, if we, uh, if we were to have everybody in the world, I know it's maybe too big of a, a a swipe. Let's say everybody in California or everybody in the United States, um, or it's, it's you're compelled by your insurance company to take a blood test every six months. Uh, that uh, one of these one of these two methods and two cancer is detected. And then you're given uh, proteolytic enzymes and some 14X and uh, amygdalin or whatever. Uh, you can prevent cancer from ever occurring. That is pretty freaky to a multi-trillion dollar business. So that was the threat that we posed. And uh, to be fair, in the 1990s, when I first discovered this and having taken the oath of uh, to defend the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic, I saw this threat of 
uh, an illegal cartel, an illegal, well, let's say it's the cartels doing business, but what they're doing is illegal in that they're violating the Constitution. The FDA is violating the Constitution. They have no one to control it. FDA owns and operates it. Uh, Congress writes the laws that are passed to them by the lawyers of these big pharma companies. So, and with a with few exceptions, there is any medical, uh, anybody in the Congress who has any medical experience. So they really don't know what they're signing off on. So um, it's just a one big ball of ignorance and indoctrination that's been going on for a hundred years. So um, that was what started the whole thing. And now in January of 92, after learning all these things about Nason and Schilvector, uh, I went to, I went down to Cornell University, went to their library, and looked up the rules and regulations of setting up an institutional review board, uh, which is, we'll just say IRB from this point. And the IRB requires that you give informed consent. That's mandated by federal law that any medicine that's given to anybody, uh, you must have, know all the pluses and all the negatives. And, and, so we set up an institutional review board, which are used by all the colleges and all the pharmaceutical companies for study of any medicine. And the board requires one woman, one chairman, which was me, and then the chief investigator, which was Dr. Schildvector. Co-investigator included Dr. Robert Atkins out of New York City, who uh, is a famous diet doctor. Uh, um, oh, really? Yeah. And then there was another doctor who wasn't quite as famous, but he was famous in that he was the first medical doctor appointed to the state of Alaska as the commissioner of health by Governor Hickel. And he came on our board and he was holistic, as they say. Uh, I don't particularly care for that designation, but it's okay. Um, so he, those are the three main names. We had a dozen co-investigators. And after a few years, we had 4,000 doctors uh, worldwide that we networked uh, with. I started going on, uh, I, I, instead of putting other authors on the radio, I compiled a book called Do No Harm, which is being offered, uh, which we mentioned. And that book was intended to, to garner informed consent. And uh, it was aimed at for the passive reader. To, uh, did you get enough out of it to understand completely everything about it? And also for the scientists and the doctor and also the lawyers and the FDA. So there, it covers all, all topics from the sublime to the deep, deep uh, science. And I uh, started marketing that book. Chris Bird couldn't do it. He was not uh, not capable. A, he was, he, his voice just couldn't do it. But he wasn't able to encapsulate. Chris would always want to tell the history of man. And I had more of a capability of summarizing it in five minutes or 20 minutes or an hour or whatever you needed. So anyway, we started marketing the Do No Harm, and in so doing, uh, in those days, it was easy to get on radio because they needed content, and they weren't owned. Most of them were independents, and now today, they're pretty much all bought up by mainstream media. But uh, I'll give you an example. I went on a five-minute drive time show at the KABC in Los Angeles at 7 in the morning, their time, for five minutes. Everybody's on the freeway with their top down, probably. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a raucous show. It wasn't really a, a show like your show. And uh, we got 3,000 phone calls in, in a five-minute interview. And what and that consistent that happened consistently out of uh, hundreds of shows that I did. And 
it was it came to it, it brought up the understanding that there's so much cancer that it's unfathomable it, it i compare it to sticking your coffee cup into the niagara falls i mean it's just the the outpouring of oh my god it's just we had 50,000 terminal patients in a three-year period. I mean, it's like, oh, my God. Just, you know, just, just step back, you know, and it comes at you like somebody turned the fire hose on you. They were calling me at 2, 3, 4 in the morning. We were on the clock. Around the clock. We did, I didn't sleep much in those days. So uh, to proceed in, 19, in June of 1992, uh, the FDA acknowledged uh, my, my – uh, Institutional Review Board, because it comes under the laws of Congress, not under the FDA, although they have a guy there that works for them. His name was Paul Goebbels. And uh, so in June of 1992, Dr. Schildvector had a client or a patron. We call them patrons. We don't call them patients. Patron, patients means to suffer, and patron is from patria, to support from father. Anyway, so... Congressman Berkeley Bedell was a was a patron of Dr. Schilbecker, and he was terminally ill. He was going to die, metastatic cancer, and he used the 714X, and bang, zoom, and it was gone. So he and Dr. Schilbecker went before the NIH hearings at the Office of Alternative Medicine in uh, Congress in June of 92. In July of 92, the FDA published an import alert on 714X banning its entry into this country. Immediately. So anybody who is still have the naivete to think that the FDA, which I believe, you know, if you're FDA, you would think that they would reach out and say, hey, what can we do to help you? You've got something great there. But that's not how it functions. So in March of 93, uh, nine months later, I presented uh, to um, a Congress a healthcare proposal pointing out that universal coverage means the availability of all aspects of healthcare offered globally, and that managed competition is by definition an antitrust violation. The in the same month, within within a blink of an eye, more or less, uh, the FDA sent somebody to inspect my office, and uh, she was not very warm and fuzzy, but she didn't disrupt anything. She just went through our files looking for anything she could find to find something to. Hang on me, Ross. In June of '93, a few months later, we uh, registered. I registered with Congress as a lobbyist and tried to do some things there. In August, um, I was summoned to the FDA by uh, Goebbels and his people, and they wanted me to. Um, I wanted to ex ask them for to expedite the expensive and lengthy, risky approval process. And, but they had a completely different agenda. They point blank told me in presence of my two daughters, two of my daughters, um, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, we're going to find you guilty and put you in jail. Now, so I was already hung, tried, tried, and, tried and convicted right there with those words. That they knew that they had such a power that we're going to find you guilty and put you in jail. I mean, there it is. So in June, I met with Governor Cuomo at a uh, National Association of Radio talk show convention in, uh, I think it was in Pasadena, somewhere out there. And at that time, Governor Cuomo, Mario Cuomo, had legislation on his desk. The father that, of the current governor of New York. That is correct, yeah, Mario. He's, he was a great guy and a great statesman. And, you know, he was 
blue blue state Democrat for sure. Um, but in this regard, um, there was a bill on his desk that would grant physicians freedom to practice, practice any form of health care in the absence of harm to the patron without a reprisal from medical or government agency. That's a pretty broad and sweeping uh, bill. I mean, it was just wonderful. So at this meeting, he was on the he was on the podium and I was in the audience and I walked up to him and I said, hi, Governor, because he's they're out in California. You wouldn't expect somebody from New York to show up. So I walked up to him and said, hi, Governor, I'm uh, Charlie. I'm from Rochester, New York. And he goes, hey, Charlie, how you doing? You know, he just warmed right up to me as a constituent. And I told him the same thing I just related to you uh, listeners just now in so many words. And I said, you have a bill on your desk. And he said, yeah, I've heard a lot about those people. I, under, I understand. I think I've heard that they are pretty rough. And he went back to he went back to uh, Albany and signed the bill into law. So that was a, a feather in the cap, more or less. In June, the same month, I from there, from while I was still there, I went up and met with Governor Wilson's economic advisor in Sacramento. Same idea. In July, um, they raided my office. They came in, they surrounded the house, and they sent the other a bunch of guys in to start hauling everything out. And uh, the whole time they were there, it was... Uh, uh, you know, I thundered on them the whole time they were there, and they made and I demanded they make uh, copies or make a list of everything they're taking and give me an inventory, which they did. That was the law. That was their, they kept the law. In August, because now I know that they've set their heels. Of course, I set my heels because when they told me in Rockville that if if you don't stop doing what you're doing, we're going to find you guilty and put you in jail. My response to them being as uh, impetuous and hot-headed and not as wise as I may be today, if I have any wisdom at all. Uh, I told them right to their face, uh, uh, basically, F you. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to stop. You're killing people. You know you're killing people. And we're saving lives. And uh, there you have it. You know, that we're, I drew the line. Who do you think caused the raid? Well, I drew a line in the sand. And uh, by July, because originally it was 93 when they called me down there by so a whole year went by, and then they raided my office after I'd met with governor, the two governors. And uh, they did the search and seizure and all that. So uh, I, have a, I had a friend, I think he's deceased now, his name was Alden Bryan, he's out of Berkeley, the former Navy SEAL, but he was at that, at that point 20 years older than me. And uh, still a runner and still fit, but uh, the kind of, he was far more, peaceful and relaxed than I was. That was one ball of fire. I, I mean, I know I caused a lot of my own problems because I just, any chance I got, I stuck my thumb in their eye. And um, on radio and everywhere, I just called them out because I basically wanted to take them on. I wanted to expose them. And, and at that point, many of the people that call in after hearing me on the radio would say, well, if it's so good, why doesn't everybody know? Which is evidence of the indoctrination and uh, the, the and also the skepticism and the you know, in this world, in the conspiracy world, the CIA created the words uh, conspiracy theory, right, to, to block your thinking. And in this world, they created the word quack. You know, he's just a quack, you know. So anyway, I, I had a, this Alden Bryan said, hey, you know, I got a friend. His name is Dr. Lee, and he's the assistant secretary of health. Do you think a meeting with him would help? <laughs> I said, come on, let's go. 
You know, there's the boss of David Kessler. He works. He was undersecretary to Donna Shalala. I mean, come on. That's, hey, we got something here. So we went down there, and I told him the whole story. And uh, I said, Doc, you know, even an old dying dog gets a bone sometimes. And he looked at all, and he goes, where did you get this guy, you know? And uh, home, lo and behold, we I was applying for a waiver, and he granted the waiver to bypass all the rules and regulations, although for for approval, although it, it technically didn't require it because it's homeopathic, he nonetheless gave me the he gave me protection, or at least I thought I had it. So then we met again with Governor Wilson's staff and regarding the victory over misuse of medical authority and a related legal battle in San Diego, I helped a, a doctor um, overcome a charge, actually two doctors. In Sacramento, down in that, down in the San Diego area, and we went up there and talked about it. Then, uh, this is 1995 now, in 19 in October, unbeknownst to me, they had had a grand jury and they indicted me on 19 counts of illegal importation and a conspiracy to distribute an unapproved medicine. Evidently, you ruffled some feathers, and that's what I'm trying to get at. Who who did you? Who did you do this to that was probably the cause for your raid? Oh, everybody I could. <laughs> I was I was not very well restrained. Um, but I was going after David Kessler. You know, and remember him. He had the Coke bottle glasses, uh, and he was big in attacking the tobacco companies, but did little to help us. But basically, the whole idea was that Look, everybody, look, everybody, look, everybody, look. You know, this is you, this, these people are killing you. Um, just since they just, just to give you an idea, since there's been 20, 23 years since they indicted me or put me in jail, in that period of time, approximately 30 to 40 million Americans alone have gone the way of chemo radiation and surgery and are dead. Now, if you take a very generous discount of what it costs per head, per cancer. The average is 160,000 per person per head cancer, but it's actually much more than that, depending on your insurance. But just as, let's say $100,000 per 300 million or 30 million. What does that recalculate out to? If my calculations are right, right, that's $3 trillion in a 20 year period. Now, if you extrapolate that to the world based on the, the percentages of cancer, and uh, I I pulled up the records from the NIH just recently to see how many people there. They'll tell you there's only 1.7 million people die this year from cancer. That's incredible. Let me ask you this question: When I was, oops, we are we disconnected? Are you there? Okay. Well, we got disconnected all of a sudden. I'm not surprised. Huh. I'm not sure if you finished your statement or you just got cut off. Did you have anything else to add to that last part? Well, I was only going to—I was giving you opportunity to speak. I was kind of dominating there. No, that's okay. But let me just say this for a moment: when you and I were growing up, I think I'm a little bit younger than you, I think, but still, in the, growing up in the '70s, in the '80s, and even in the '90s, when I used to watch TV, I hardly ever saw commercials that dealt with pharmaceuticals. And right now, I would say that the majority of commercials is just pharmaceutical stuff. 
And we are the only, the United States and New Zealand are the only two countries in the world that have direct-to-consumer pharmaceutical advertising. This started back in 1985, but didn't, it didn't take off until 1997. And the reason was that even if they still wanted to advertise, they had to list all their side effects. So imagine that. A commercial would have taken five minutes. So in 1997, I believe it was the FDA that eased up on the rule obliging companies to offer a detailed list of side effects. They have to do it quickly, and they just need to, to name a few and look at what, what we have now. Do you think this is partly responsible for the increase in fill in the blanks when it comes to disease? I think it's resp- I think I have a very big part in the role that caused them to use the Title 21 Part 56 because that's the law. And uh, I'm certain that my, the judge in my trial had something to do with it. Um, the advertising, uh, I mean, it's just, it's so insidious. I don't see, I think they're really aiming at doctors with the advertising, but it makes it sound like they're, ask, they're asking the patients to, to do it, to buy it. But really it's the doctors, I mean, because of the way the med- med- medical system has evolved, it's a bus- It's gone into a business model, like a Six Sigma business model versus a care model. And in the homeopathic setting, you might see a doctor for two to four hours in your first go. And then as you see him and he gets to know you or her, um, they, they operate by observation or empiricism, where the other school operates by uh, they have to tweak this and tweak that, and and uh, there's not enough of this chemical, or you're just a bag of chemicals. And to which I say, if you believe in Darwin, if you think that we've evolved from apes, or if the government or the FDA or the medical industry or the medical colleges think we evolved from apes, then why aren't you training veterinarianism? You know, we're just animals. So why are you treating us like animals? So um, to get back to your question, I was talking about the numbers of cancer. I analyzed the NIH the other day, their own numbers, and I extrapolated it uh, to this country based on the numbers that they provide by age, type, um, race, and economic status of male and female. And it boils down to roughly 6,500, excuse me, six and three quarter million persons who die or are diagnosed with cancer per year. So they obfuscate the numbers. So then if you extrapolate to the world population, I calculate it out. And I'm willing to say that I'm wrong. You prove me wrong. It's fine. Show me. But I'm sure I'm not far off that in the last 40 years, I'm being generous now, 40 years, worldwide, the big pharma and big medicine has taken down $117 trillion just in cancer. Never mind the rest of the diseases. So I think that that puts them at even a greater risk than the the military-industrial complex. And this is the type of conversation that that precipitated uh, them coming after me. But in those at that time... What they finally busted me for 
was there was a boy named Billy Best. When I say boy, he was 17 years old, so I think saying he's a, I'm 72, so I think I can call him a boy. Um, he ran away from home to avoid chemotherapy. He was at Dana-Farber Institute in Boston. They gave him one dose of adriamycin. It almost killed him. It attacked his heart. It's the most powerful antibiotic that they have, that and vincomycin and a few other ones. Nearly killed him, so he ran away. And he, he made national news. He was on Good Morning America. He was on all the major channels. Oh, Billy, you know, please come home. And I got to, got through to him in my investigative way and went to Canada and got medicine for him and got it to him. And he he took it. And then he went up to see him at Dr. Nason, and, um, who was not a physical and medical doctor, but he's a microbiologist. He went up there and he started using SEACT and 714X. And within a couple months, he was cancer-free. And he went back to Dana-Farber and they, they announced him cancer-free. And they were gonna dis, they were gonna just take credit for it and discredit 714X. And the very moment that that happened, they gave four times the normal dose of a chemotherapy agent to a, a lady by the name of Becky Lehman, who was a nurse there, whose husband was a PhD uh, research doctor in one of their labs, and she vomited up her stomach and died. So right there, all all came boom, boom, boom in the same week. So that kind of shut them down. And uh, another question that people ask me is, did the FDA have anything to say about the medicine or uh, in the trial or uh, did I was I accused of practicing medicine? No, none of those things. Um, they The only thing that they came after me for was the importation and called that a conspiracy to defraud. And I said, OK, who did I conspire with? And they said, well, you conspired with your corporation. Now, that was a. That was a precedent-setting accusation because that wasn't acknowledged as a possibility by the Supreme Court until about 10 years ago. So now all of these bad boys throughout the whole, any industry now can be tied to their corporation as a conspirator. They probably don't know that, or if they do, they're, they're in, you know, they got to straighten up. So um, ask me a question, but... Uh, I'm just now starting to get to the trial. If you have other questions about the medicine, I think. Uh, of course. Heavy. This book, by the way, this book that you wrote, you wrote it what year? 1992. 1992. It was banned when? 1996. Until when? Well, I just never did anything with it. After that, I just kept my mouth shut. I would only talk to one one on one. Uh, so for 22 years, I just, it just stayed on my. You know, it just stayed in a cabinet, you know, and then I, they banned it. You know, the FDA demanded the judge ban it and he's on, you know, he went on with it. He went along with it, but it never really, um, they never really pressed it. Uh, so, okay, 22 years later, now the Bush regime is fading away and uh, President Trump has created the Right to Try Act, which, by the way, is built upon the Title 21, Part 56, informed consent. Uh, so that gave me the signal that, and he also told everyone, President Trump told everyone he's going to cure cancer. Now, you can take him at his word, or you can take him at his subtlety, or you can take him at his code language, but that gave me a, it woke me up. I said, okay, if you're going to, if you're going to give us the right to try, then the American public has a right to know what to try. But if you read the act, the right to try act, it speaks 
very much like what they did in Canada with Nason after Nason was attacked, that you have the right to try yet another chemotherapy once all of the chemotherapies have failed. Mm. And, and I said, wait a minute. If you have a right to try, first of all, you have the constitutional right to life through any means available. I don't need anybody's permission. And they don't emphasize that, not which I emphasized in the uh, Second Circuit Court of Appeals after they found me guilty. And by the way, when they when we went to court, um, there was two days of trial, and the first day, I was clearly winning. And the there was patrons there who had gone through uh, the horrors of chemotherapy and then were saved, and they were in the audience. They were crying, and there was I had a stack of letters that were three inches high of supporters and survivors and. And the judge read everything, and he was he was very, very fair. I have no beef with him. And the that night after that day of trial, he was called to Washington by Chief Justice Rehnquist, and had a private meeting with Chief Justice Rehnquist of the Supreme Court, and President Bill Clinton. The next day, he came back and he walked into the courtroom with the upside down smile. He was no longer no longer the same friendly judge that went away the other day. So I said to my lawyer, I said, I'm. That's it. I'm cooked. I'm done. And that was it. And he said he found me guilty. So we were compelled to apply appeal, which we did. And at that point, uh, Dr. Timothy Quill, who happened to be from the same township that I was in, um, was filing for doctor. who was uh, arguing for doctor assisted suicide for the right to doctor assisted suicide. And in the Ninth Circuit, they were arguing with another uh, case. Uh, with Jane Doe, same same argument. So we argued that if, first of all, we have the necessity defense, which kind of, you know, if your your house is burning, and it's a very very wealthy property and you know gated community, and you have lots of expensive things on the inside, and and your house is burning, and I break the windows and climb in the window to save your children or your animals, and they find me for breaking and entering. That's a necessity defense. You did it not because you're a criminal. You did it to, for the necessity of it. So I, we argued that. A good Samaritan. Yeah, we, we, we argued that. We also argued that if you have a right to life, I mean, if you have a right to doctor-assisted suicide, you must also have the concomitant right to preserve your life through any means available. Well, when they finally came down with a decision, they said, and they're very clever, you know, that lawyers, you have to understand lawyer speak. Uh, they said, we're reluctant to identify any new fundamental rights. And if you look at carefully what that says, you already have that right because it's not a new fundamental right. So, and then they just upheld the lower court and off I went to a federal prison. So that's the prison story. Um, so take it for what it's worth on the, the influence of um, outside forces, which should have never been there, but they were there. So you think you made it to Clinton's radar? Yes, uh, Clinton. I think I made it to the to the the handlers. Uh, you know, the people that the managers of of those who are, had an interest in making sure that things like this didn't uh, break through. I mean, that's a it's a disruptive force to come into a a machine that's churning out. I mean, basically. I mean, no disrespect, but we're basically being harvested. He's a Rockefeller boy. 
Well, that's the 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 industry, the doctor industry. Pardon me. The Rockefeller industry starting in 1920. Rockefeller had a homeopathic homeopath by his side 24 hours till the day he died. But he saw and he saw an opportunity in the, from the petroleum industry for a big chemical. And he said to Abe Flexner out there to tear down um, what was then 65 or 85% of the American public used homeopathy over all other medicines. Now, homeopathy still today has the same quality. You don't go to a homeopath for a broken bone. You don't go to a homeopathic for, for a surgical operation. You go to them for your a myriad of uh, maladies that appear, and they're not there to, they're there to enhance the body's natural ability to fight it off. And I can explain homeopathy thoroughly if somebody wants to know. But the, so they came in in their first effort. To, I'll show you this 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 uh, insidiousness goes back a hundred years because as they rebuilt, reformulated the business plan of medicine, they instilled that college. The the doctors had to go through longer and longer college course to become an MD. There's no nutrition, there's no history of medicine training, and simultaneously they began to shut down as hard as they could any other competing uh, healing arts such as naturopathy, chiropractor, homeopathy. But in the case of homeopathy, homeopathy was preserved by a, a doctor, uh, Royal Copeland, who was the dean of the medicine of the homeopathic college in New York City, I forget the name at the moment, Emory, or I forget the name, it's not the correct name. And he also became the commissioner of health for the state of New York, and then later became the New York State Senator by the federal government. And he saw this coming, and he, when they formulated the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, Royal Copeland was part of it, and he made sure that homeopathy was grandfathered in so that you still have the homeopathic meritoria medica protected under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, even though they tried to override all that and then they continue they chip away at it as hard as they can as often as they can so in 1920s uh there there was uh, royal raymond rife which many people have heard about now uh, who was able to destroy viruses and cancer with his microscopic genius there was a medicine out of uh, uh, germany called iscadora which is a, a um, and the derivative of mistletoe, and there are various kinds of mistletoe, it's not just one, and each one of them have um, different qualities for different kinds of disease and cancer included. So there's two. Then came Harry Hoxie, who, um, he was attacked by the FDA probably a hundred times, but uh, he, he beat them every time, and Harry Hoxie's, you can still get Harry Hoxie's treatment, which is very popular and very sound, uh, you can still get that uh, down in Mexico, or up until today, anyway. And um, then later on came um, during the Second World War, after the Nuremberg trials, a doctor, uh, one of the doctors on the panel, the Nuremberg panel, uh, came back from Germany with a medicine called Krabiazin, and there's they destroyed him, they completely destroyed him. He was one of the top ethical doctors in the entire world, and uh, with the big resume uh, and of the allopathic industry that Rockefeller created, and they just destroyed him. 
And if you look it up, you'll see there's a huge battle going on about Kribayazin. And I think that that might be out there still, but it's still, it was one of the weaker, um, it, it, it was an attempt. It was, I mean, there were not, all of these are home runs. Like 714X is clearly a home run. It's a miracle, if you want to call it a miracle. And then came in the 60s, the Kefauver, the 1962 Kefauver Act, which emboldened Big Pharma uh, because they were, they were slidomite and children were being born deformed and all kinds of defo- horrible deformities and hands growing out of their shoulders and, you know, no legs and oh, just horrific, monstrous. And if you look at some of the, when you hear these commercials, as you mentioned earlier, the commercials on the air, and they give you the side effects. They're only giving you the, they're only giving you a few. Right. If you, you open a book called the Physician's Death Reference, or go to the, you go to the PDR at the library, and you look up the drug, and it's all laid out there. Uh, you'll see that it, uh, there are many of these drugs in, invade your the genetic reproduction, where your children, you have a threat of having children who were born monstrous. And I wonder, Charlie, if how many doctors really, really know what the effects of interactions are between drugs. There are people who are taking a cocktail of drugs, and I wonder if they really know how those drugs are interacting and what effects they have on the patient. It makes you wonder because you, know, you look over, you're sitting at the stoplight, and you look next to you, and some somebody's, and many times it's somebody with gray hair, and and she's looking around like I've never been here before. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be around that car right now. You know, dangerous, dangerous stuff. Yes, uh, that goes back to the Six Sigma comment that I made. It's it's the business of medicine. You they timed them. How long, why were you with that customer so long, or that the patron or patient? You know, you how many patients did you see today? How many prescriptions did you write today? And, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of it because I'm not in that business, but I know enough about it that there's a lot of pressure like that. So you're going to a doctor and you barely get out. Uh, what are you here for? Oh, I got this thing. Okay, I'm going to write you a script for antibiotic and you're, going, you're on your way. And predominantly, you can guarantee pretty much that there's an antibiotic prescription for almost everything. And um, so I, I don't, I think I agree. I agree with you that they, they, not that they can't know, I think they just don't know. And the conscious ones, the ones who, and any of them, like, um, if they find out, they have a case where somebody's just, they've been told, there's no possible way that we can help you. And then that person says, well, okay, I'm done with you. And they go off and use something like Coxy or uh, SEACT or amygdalin B17, uh, uh, like that. And they come back and say, here I am. And they do a test and they see, wow, you have no cancer. What did you do? And they tell them and the doctors just abandon ship. It's like, wait a minute, where are you going? I just told you, you know, prime example, my son-in-law, my son-in-law's dad, wife had really bad cancer. I'll get to her in a second. But their friend had a uterine cancer that, um, she went to Sloan Kettering. They're from Pittsburgh. She went to Sloan Kettering, and they told her there, "We're not even going to treat you. There's nothing we can do. There's this is incurable. You know, you're you're going to die. That's it." And so she used m 14 x I think she used it for maybe a year, and I also think she used the proteolytic enzymes that are 
that go along with it that uh, we typically used in the past. And she went back to Sloan and she was cancer free. And they called the entire department to look, look at this. She was, she has no cancer and this was incurable. So then they quizzed her, what, what did you do? And she told them. She told and them the truth of what she did. She told them the truth. And they said, that doesn't work. You're going to die. <laughs> That's it. So this is the indoctrination goes so deep and you can track it. I remember when I grew up, we had black and white television. With, you know, I was still from, and they had, the TV was only on for so long in the day. And it would, so uh, did would I. Come, yeah. And it would, would come on a, uh, uh, test pattern at the end, at the end of the day, right? And right. Right. And um, even then, the early sixties, I don't remember the late fifties. Maybe we had one. I don't think so, but I don't know. Um, even then, there was advertising uh, for uh, the National Cancer Institute. We need we need to raise money. We got to find a cure for cancer. Find a cure. Find a cure. And we had this this drumbeat: find a cure. Run for a cure, pink ribbon for a cure, pink sneakers on the football player for a cure, on the side of garbage trucks, red, pink ribbons, black ribbons, yellow, yellow ribbons. ribbons. Give me money, yes. Coleman, uh, Coleman, run for a cure for the marathon and all that. But if you call them up, and I'll, t I'll challenge anybody to call them up and say, hey, you know, we have a cure. It's called this or that. They'll, they'll just <laughs> they blow you off. Like, of course, you're threatening their livelihood. Yeah, it's just, it's just, the and a, and a client, I, out of, if you have 100,000 people listening right now, out of that 100,000, they may all say to you, I know somebody who had cancer, and I know somebody who survived it, maybe one survived it, so therefore you should all do what that person did, but there are some will say that, but They'll, they'll agree with you. Yes, this is a problem. And yes, we know that it's all about money. And yes, we know this and we know that. But when it comes down to it and they're told they have cancer and they're threatened, the moment they're, they're told they have cancer, they're told, and you're going to die. You have to get in right away. They will then, out of that fear, will jump on the conveyor belt and they'll go through all of this, even though once you have this knowledge in your hand, if you're willing to, to learn, knowledge is knowable. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't trained traditionally in the healing arts. I was trained one-on-one -on -one in the old-fashioned way by professors of medicine, by by masters. I was trained. I don't treat anybody, but I I know what I'm talking about. I understand it. I don't fear it. I have no fear of it. I mean, I'm not begging for any of these things to happen to me. And if it did happen, sure, I I'd have a you know. A, I might keep my confidence juggle a little bit, but I would I would react appropriately as opposed to panic and death, <clears throat> instant death. So knowledge is, as you know, there's a quote, they quote the Bible. I hear people quote the Bible and they always take out one line and they take it out of context. And the one that's from Hosea, Old Testament, Hosea 4, 6. And it says, um, my people suffer for lack of knowledge. That's not what it really says, but what the, the to focus on that, even though it's an incorrect phrase, knowledge comes from all knowledge, all branches of the healing arts, all branches of knowledge. Everything is born of the consciousness of the creator. 
back to the whole comment about if you believe in Darwin, then you're not going to be on the same channel as I am right now. I'm on a different wavelength. So eventually you'll find that, that, that the Darwin is not correct. But everything is a vibration. Where you can, if anybody studied Masaru Emoto, he yes. proved it. If you ever studied cymatics, you can get a go onto YouTube and look up cymatics, and you'll see somebody puts sand on a on a steel plate, and then puts violin um, bow across it, and it forms, according to the pitch, forms a shape, a geometric shape. There are frequencies that kill viruses and bacteria. Exactly, precisely, and this goes back to uh, Edward Vall is one. There's others. I don't. Their names don't come to my mind at the moment, but Ed, Edward Vall, acupuncture by Vall, where you hold two uh, copper uh, probes in your hand, and the doctor has one, and he puts them on either side of your fingernails, toes and hands, and it calibrates the frequencies in your body, and then while you're holding those probes, they can adjust it and put the frequency back into you to put it back into balance. Now, that's kind of a rudimentary explanation, and there's other ways and probably better ways of uh, doing that with the vibrations, but that's certainly what uh, what Royal Raymond Rife was doing. So you can me- these these are measuring everything is measurable in that regard. So I mean the easiest way that I recognize frequency is you you go to your granddaughter's or your grandson's concert at high school and they sing and it's so beautiful and you start crying. Oh, this is so sweet because it touches your heart. It's a certain vibration that goes up to the about uh, in the level of consciousness as uh, David Hawkins taught, Dr. Hawkins, um, power versus force Hawkins. Um, at, the, at level of 500, you get into uh, pure love. 528. But before we take a break, let me just say this. I hardly talk about my personal stuff, but my father-in-law died 20 years ago of cancer. He had a Rife machine, but he was not able to get the instruction manual. So there you have it, just a piece of table with a bunch of little pins. Then a year ago, somebody very close to me, elderly, she was dying in the hospital and she had days to live. She had a, apparently people around her had the shingles vaccination, which because of the shedding, she got exposed to it, and she had oh. chickenpox when she was young, so they reactivated it. So went to the emergency room, ICU, and they said, you need open-heart surgery. Even oh. though she had the, the shingles going, she had renal failure and oh. a bunch of other stuff. And against some of my relatives who are medical doctors, I said, no, you cannot operate right now. She has an infection. Now, what do I know? I'm not the doctor. But I had three years of training by interviewing so many people around the world in Sanitas that I started registering everything that I've been told. And I said, no, no, let's wait. Let's just make sure that she gets the shingles under control. I'm going to take her. And they said, she's only going to live for three months. And what I found out was that she was taking cholesterol, lower medication for 17 years, blood pressure medication, and a plethora of others. Well, slowly, I found an analog for each one of them, except for cholesterol, which, by the way, I don't believe that's bad. She was supposed to die three months after that, right? It's been a year. Right now, she has every natural analog 
Her vital signs are better than ever and no conditions whatsoever. Bless your heart. Knowledge is noble. Exactly. So we who are not medical doctors, who have an open mind, who listen to, to people, and who would, sometimes I test it on myself before I even mention it. Oh, by the way, and Divinia water, folks, and I'm not trying to push it. I just sell it because I know it saved this person's life and many other people's lives, including our good friend who's no longer with us, Jeff. So Divina would have tried that. That actually saved the person's life and her kidneys. The book. People can now buy it. It's been banned. And you can get the book directly on our website at veritasradio.com. It's on the link to this interview or on the Veritas store. Do no harm with a 714X is the title. That is correct. After 1996, uh, there was 20-some years of hard labor. You know, I just had to tough it out, and I just retired. Now, folks, as I always tell you, I like to talk about everything during segment one, but because of the censorship we've experienced lately, and I guarantee you this is not going to be a... I try to keep a lot of the stuff that I want to keep in part two away from it because I want to be able to provide to people at least half of our radio programs because that's our subscribers, our members are the ones who make this happen. I cannot just... I get so many people complaining, saying, oh, if you talk the truth... You should just give it away for everybody. Then how am I going to be able to conduct this program, folks? I don't want to be in bed with corporations or the government. I want to be completely separate, independent, impartial. And the only ones who make this happen is you. On, on that note, uh, Mel, on that note, my son-in-law's dad took his wife, who um, she had cancer everywhere. It was her whole body. It was in her brain. She had, I don't know, multiple cancer nodes in her brain. And they told her that they're going to give her a medicine that costs $25,000 per time, and she needed it six times. <sighs> and then they, after that, she would have to come two more times for six rounds of each. Now, what's six times 25000 So where is this concept of, well, if it's so good, it should be free? This is socialism. This is just absurd. I mean, you mean to say that my little book here that will give you enough knowledge that you can you can save your life or save somebody else's life if they're willing to listen for 20 bucks, I should give this away? Okay. All right. Will you read it if you do? You know, it's just it just doesn't make any sense. How if you go to work, if you go to work you get wages, should the person who put you to work just give you the wages if you don't show up i mean this show is vital and you there's an old saying you should you should tithe where you're fed where your soul is fed and veritas feeds many many souls so this is this tithing or this donation or this support think of it that you're helping you're how how many if you just one person listening to the show per show is helped in some way that you don't even know. And they come later and say, I was listening to a show last year or two years ago and blah, blah, blah. This is what's going on. I cut, I cut you off there. but and, I, and I th that, No, no, you didn't cut me off at all. And those are the most rewarding emails I get. People who listen to shows who say, by the way, I want you to know that this or that show saved my life or the life of a loved one. Those are the, the messages that make it so much worthwhile adding life to their years, as I always say. One last thing I want to say before we go into break. 
I had a friend years ago who apparently saw that I interviewed Dr. Stanislav Bersinski in Houston. What a great man, by the way. Very similar to you. He had to go to court. And he He's had, been to court so many times. <laughs> yes, exactly. Unreal. lost count. Hundreds of people there is praising what he's done. But anyway, my friend had his wife who had uh, terminal cancer, brain cancer. And he said, you know, I'm going to call Dr. Brzezinski. So I gave him the phone number. I I had somebody contact from the from the clinic. And then he called me back and said, Mel, come on now. That is so expensive. You know, if he's doing this to save the, the world, why is it so expensive? Because, I'll tell you why, folks. Because insurance companies will not pay for it. You have to go through standard of care. You have to poison yourself. You have to burn yourself. and have things cut out. And if that doesn't work, that's when they allow you to go to Dr. Persinski. So no insurance covers. And once you get there, a lot of times he doesn't want to take new patients who are almost dead because the few times he has done it, it goes against him. he has been blamed for the death. Exactly. Anyway, I wish that with what's happening now with, with President Trump and the right to try they changed that a bit because if the law still says we can try as long as we've tried everything, well, that's better than nothing. But folks, don't go anywhere. Part two, we're going to take our gloves off and we're going to talk as much as we possibly can about this, about how it works and how you can improve your life and prevent all of this from happening. This is Mel Fabregas. My special guest today is Charles Pixley. You're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store. For Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.